Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24 this morning. Some have called this the resurrection chapter. Luke, the writer, writes to give a witness report so that those things which have been shared can certainly be believed. Luke chapter 24. This chapter begins, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. This chapter begins at dawn. It begins with a time of disappointment. A time in which the women were going to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ because he had been their teacher. He had been their example. He had been the one whom they had followed for three years. And yet three days ago they had seen him crucified. They understood something about crucifixion. And they recognized that He was gone. After all, he'd been placed in a tomb, a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And there had been a great stone rolled across the mouth of the tomb, and it had been sealed, and guards had been posted. And yet, as they went to that tomb, they discovered that the stone was rolled away, and dazzling angels declared, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is risen, just like he said he would. The Lord is risen, and he is risen indeed. This morning we want to look at reasons that we can believe that he is risen. And we begin with the reality of the resurrection. As they went there that early morning, they discovered that the stone was gone and Jesus was not there. Now, I want to remind you that a lot had happened in the previous days. The Jews had gone to Pilate and said, this man said he was going to rise again, post a guard. Pilate said, you got a guard, you post a guard. And so they put people there to make sure that the body was not taken from the tomb. And in that time, there was a great earthquake. And the stone was rolled away. And he was risen. And so the guards came and said, what shall we do? And they were bribed to tell a different story. In fact, the scripture says that All of Jerusalem believed the story that he was indeed gone. That the bodies had been stolen. 
In fact, the scripture tells us that that was a common belief among the Jews even to this day. And so the battle began in the hearts of his followers as to whether or not they could understand what had happened. Now you and I, sitting here this morning some 2,000 years later, can look back and say, why did they not understand? And yet, it was hard for them to wrap their minds around the wonder of what God had done. I want you to look down to verse 11 of chapter 24, will you please? But these words, the words that were spoken by Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, those words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Jump over to verse 41, will you please? As Jesus appears to them, and while they still disbelieved for joy were marveling, and he said unto them. Can you put yourself in their place? You were there. You were there when the Lord was crucified. You heard the reports. You knew that no one could steal the body. But yet, something was different. The reality was that the angels made a declaration. Angels that appeared in dazzling apparel. The word dazzling here is the word that is used for lightning. Flashing brilliance that grabs your attention. And there was no way to miss these two angels, these two men who made the declaration, he's not here. He is risen as he said. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember what he said? They should have remembered. Mark's gospel 8, 9, and 10 gives to us the narrative of the three times that Jesus said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. They're going to take my life. But don't fear, I will rise on the third day. And I'm sure back in their minds they remember that conversation. But yet, he was dead, he was buried. And now, beyond belief, he is risen. How do you grapple with that? They did. Maybe you're here this morning grappling with the resurrection of Christ. Maybe you're here because it's Easter Sunday and Everybody goes to church on Easter Sunday. Maybe you're here wondering whether or not what is being shared and taught and sung about and declared is real. Jesus stated, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And it was the Father's plan all along for the Son to go to the cross and shed His precious blood in payment for your sins and mine. Why? 
because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. You may be a good sinner, you may be a bad sinner, but we're all sinners. And we cannot measure up to God's standard. And the reality is the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve discovered that. Because God said, in the day that you eat of the fruit, in the day that you disobey me, in the day that you violate my command, you'll surely die. And they were kicked out of the garden and began the process of physical death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John declared, behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Two weeks ago, I sat with John Horvat. John was dying. Inoperable brain tumor. Doctors from U of M Med Center said, John, you got two to four weeks to live. They were right. As I sat in John's living room, having to lean close to him to hear what he had to say. I said, John, what verse means a lot to you? And he said this, I am the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. 25. You know that verse was spoken at a funeral service? It was the funeral service of Lazarus. And do you remember what happened to Lazarus? He came forth. He rose from the dead. He was alive. Now the question that was asked by Jesus to Lazarus' sisters as he made that statement, I am the resurrection and life, was this. Do you believe it? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And the wrath of God abideth him. Now let me ask you, do you have the Son? Do you have life? Or do you still doubt? Are you still trying to find something that's worthwhile, something that's living, only you're trying to find it among dead people? The question the angels ask is, why? You seek the living among the dead. You see, you can't find fulfillment in life among dead people. In this culture, in this world, you can only find it in someone who is the way, the truth, and the life because no one comes unto the Father but through Him. Amen? And if you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you need to understand that. The message from Peter was, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby, me, whereby you must be saved. And quit trying to find life among dead people. Because it's not there. It's only in the resurrected Son of God. But not only do we discover the reality of the resurrection, we also recognize an investment that Jesus made in people's lives. Now, the rest of the text talks about events around 
a journey that was made from Jerusalem to Emmaus and then back to Jerusalem. The text tells us about two who are on their way to Emmaus. Emmaus is about seven and a half miles northwest of Jerusalem. And as they are, they are walking, one's name, Cleopas, a stranger joins them. This is the third post-resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the stranger begins to ask them, verse 17, what's this conversation you're holding with each other? And do you notice what verse 18 says? They just stopped and stood still and looked at him. What? Are you the only person in Jerusalem? Are you the only one? Who doesn't know what's just taken place? And Jesus, unidentified to them at the time, says, Oh, what? I think that's so cool. It, it, it tells you that the Lord has a sense of humor. They stop dead in their tracks. They look at him and say, Huh? You see, the two disciples said, you really don't know? And Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, you really don't know. And so they explained to him what's taken place. And as they walk along, Jesus is soaking all of this in. And when you get down to verse 25, you read, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And he beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, as you study Scripture, you discover that in the Old Testament there are some 300 references to the Messiah. There are some 61 specific prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus in his ministry mentioned the Old Testament some 78 times, and, and now he is opening the Old Testament. And the text tells us that he is opening the Scriptures and that he was beginning with Moses and the prophets and helping them understand everything that had been said. You know, it wasn't like they didn't know these things. Intellectual understanding was not their problem. In fact, these disciples probably could have quoted for you the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, because they learned them as children. They had studied the prophets. They understood what was said and reported and what was told them concerning the, the one who would come. 
But in their minds, it was impossible to believe. Some say that the resurrection is impossible. That scientifically speaking, it negates all the laws of nature. John Lennox, who is a mathematician and professor at Oxford University, gives this illustration and then makes this clarification. He says, suppose I took $1,000 tonight and put it in a drawer in my office. Then I put another $1,000 in tomorrow night. One plus one equals? Very good. I open the drawer the following morning and I find $500. Obviously, when you only find $500 in the drawer, the laws of arithmetic, arithmetic have not been broken. Because 1,000 plus 1,000 still equals 2,000. What those laws tell you is that someone, in this case probably a thief, has put his hand into the drawer and removed the money from the drawer. The laws of science, the laws of mathematics, or the laws of nature can't stop him from doing that. And then he says this. In the same way, the resurrection of Christ and every other miracle doesn't negate the laws of nature. The resurrection, for instance, shows that someone has reached into the drawer of history and removed something. In this case, the sting of death. So unless you have evidence that the system is totally closed, you cannot argue against the possibility of miracles. He's alive. And the investment that was made in the lives of these on the road to Emmaus helped them recognize that truth. Now, God does not ask us to believe this without knowledge and understanding because Luke's gospel says see for yourself the eyes of these disciples were open to verse 31 they recognized him he vanished from their sight verse 32 says they said didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened the scriptures And they rose the same hour and went back to Jerusalem. I imagine that their trip back to Jerusalem was a whole lot quicker than their trip to Emmaus. How about you? In fact, I can see them running, can't you? I can see them in a hurry to go and share with the other disciples. There he was. He was with us. We saw him. Believe that he is risen. And then verse 34 says, what they told them was, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
And then they relayed what had happened on the road. Now verse 36 puts him back in Jerusalem. Back with his followers, back with the apostles. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. Now, John's gospel tells us that that evening meeting was a meeting for fear of the Jews. And it very well could have been this same meeting as they are trying to digest all that has happened in their lives, thinking that they may well be next on Pilate's list. Perhaps there would be those pounding on their door, yelling, crucify them. And yet, here is Jesus in the midst and they understood that the Lord had risen indeed. And what does Jesus say to them? The end of verse 36, he says, peace, be still. That would be a good message to hear if you were gathered for fear of the Jews, wouldn't it? May I just insert here that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you're struggling with, resurrected Lord wants you to live in peace Jesus said my peace I leave with you my peace I give unto you not as the world giveth given unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid and Paul says in the peace that passes all understanding shall keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus great peace Verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Why do these doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. That it is I myself touch me and see. Peace to you. Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Look. Touch me. It is real. You know, as you study Scripture, there are ten post-resurrection appearances of the Lord, four of which are recorded right here in Luke chapter 24. In fact, the scripture tells us that at one point there were over 500 who viewed the resurrection of Christ. Take a look. See for yourself. He is alive. I trust that as an encouragement to you today. It was to them. Verse 41 says, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Let's eat. Jesus was a good Baptist. Till we eat again? Now the text is somewhat awkward in verse 41 because we wrestle with what they're feeling in their lives and 
And, and yet there is great joy. But what we're being told here is, I just can't believe it. It's real. I, I can't understand it. It's wonderful. Doesn't get any better than this. I didn't think it was possible. But he's alive. You folks have been praying for Connie and me. Connie's been gone a lot ministering to her mom. She finally got home Tuesday. She walked in and I thought, oh, I can't believe she's home. But I hugged her and she was real. And I kissed her and that was the best thing I'd tasted in over three weeks. Of course, I'd been eating my cooking, you understand. And that was the emotion of the disciples. We, we can't hardly believe it. He's alive. Does that encourage you this morning? You know, that's how people come to Christ. It's hard to believe. It really is. But it's still true. Can I ask you to keep your finger here in Luke chapter 24 and turn over to 1 John chapter 1? 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. All right, you've heard it. Which we have seen with our eyes. All right. That's another step. Which we have looked upon. Getting warmer. And have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Woohoo! Did you notice it? That which we've seen, that which we've looked upon, that which we touched with our hands, it's a reality. And the reality is that we can have a relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The risen Lord asks the question, now what? Now what? Jump down with me to verse 50. Now we don't know when verse 50 took place. Luke is the one who wrote 
the book of Acts. The book of Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus Christ, with the Great Commission, with the promise of the Holy Spirit and the assignment to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That, that may be here. But what took place in the lives of the disciples? Beginning with verse 52. And they worshipped him. You cannot celebrate the resurrection of Christ without worship. You cannot understand that he is risen, as he said, without lifting him up. You cannot know that he is alive without bowing at his feet. They worshipped him. And they returned to their places with great joy. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is alive? Today on Easter Sunday morning, to know he is alive. That ought to just put a smile on our face that nothing can wipe off. I was at a business meeting a couple of weeks ago. And when you go to a business meeting, you expect a speaker. The speaker didn't show. Happens. And there were men and women there from the community. It was a rotary meeting. And so it gave a number of people an opportunity to stand up and say something if they had something to say. Well, I wanted to invite all of those folks to our Good Friday service and Easter services. And so I did. So we're having a community Good Friday service at 12.15, and we'd love for you to join us. And then we at our place are having a sunrise service at 8.45 and a morning worship at 10.50. Come on out and have a great time. Somebody piped up and said, oh, that's April Fool's Day. And then I piped up and said, yeah, and you'd be a fool not to believe in the resurrection of Christ. I don't know how that went over. <laughs> and frankly, I don't care. Great joy. And not only great joy, but blessing God for what he has done in our lives. Did you notice that? And they return temple and continued to bless God. Underlying continued. This was more than a Sunday go to meet and blessing of God. This was the wonder of the resurrection in their lives. Now what in your life? The truth is, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven gates are open wide. He's alive.